The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. <laughs> That's us. We're on. It's like chicken, chicken, chicken. David has this look like, I'm like the headlight. Wait, I'm going like, I think it's us. I think it's time for the True Wealth Show. Yay! I'm All like, right. David, that's you. Hit the button. Hit the button. <laughs> Make it go. Make it go. All right. So welcome, gang, to the True Wealth Radio Show. This is your host, David Littlejohn. Okay. And... Oh, Katie Shook. Here you go. It's Tuesday, not Monday. Tuesday, not Muse Day, not Snooze Day either. It's the first of October. I know. Welcome to Q4. I know. All right. I know that everybody woke up today, and that's exactly what they thought was woohoo Q4. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, you know, Q4 is probably my favorite quarter. It uh, has the best holidays in it. Well, it has lots of holidays. I know that. that. Too. I mean, this one. No, and we, I like we a good talk party. about it. this. Is our busy. <laughs> busy section of the year uh you know the next six months will be pretty pretty busy for us or really six and a half months i think from now until tax season uh because you've got end of year retirement plan contributions or structures so for a lot of businesses if you're looking to convert a retirement plan this is kind of the time of year to do the analysis because there are some cutoffs and deadlines that you need to be aware of and uh, the big one is uh, you need to notify people within 60 days, and so if you're going to make a change, your employees are allowed 60 days notification, which means you've got to get there by the end of this month, or you won't have 60 days before, between now and the end of the year. Right, 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 right. Well, what's the, and I, you know the deadline's way better than I do. Like, if you were a business employer and wanted to start a 401k, I think we're up against the 401k deadline, aren't well, we? Well, that's what I'm talking about. So October ah. 31 is the deadline if you want to start a 401k. There are other plans that can be started later than that. They are going to work differently, of course. But uh, what I would tell you is this is where you need to start You know, finding the professionals in your life that can help you with that sort of thing. I know very few consumers out there that just natively think, hey, I know how to go start a 401k plan. I can navigate all those rules. No sweat. It's totally obvious and intuitive. Uh, no. that's Said nobody a, ever. Right. I, I mean, even to, in fact, most of the financial professionals I know in the industry, many of them, uh, they just don't even engage in that marketplace because there's a number of complexities when you start to navigate the ERISA rules, or the Employee Retirement Income Securities Act, which Thank was, you. I think... I always forget what ERISA stands for. Right. And that, I think, was like 1974, 76. And then there's been some other updates and amendments along the way. But those are all the fairness rules. Right. They right? got to make know, sure hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah. Or, or an, another way to say it is make sure the boss isn't ripping off the employees. Right. Aww. You know, you can't make it so that the boss gets all the benefit and the employees don't. None, yeah. Everybody needs to be treated equally, and there's ways that those are formally measured. So that's what ERISA is all about. And those rules are a little bit complex. And uh, of course, those rules are also part of what has created all kinds of echoes through the industry. Now, this is relevant to what we, I want to talk about today. Right? I know. I'm waiting for this, you to loop back around. I'm right, waiting for this the concept. connection. So first of all, who administers uh, the regulations for most businesses? The business. Department of labor like when it comes to employee right. employment law right right and so 
ERISA is all about employment law. Wow, is that are we getting a? It looks like we're getting a test broken right into the program here. Well, okay, well that's good. The test is over. Um, successful test. Successfully distracted. I don't know if you heard it or not, but we just got an emergency broadcast signal over the headphones. Uh, we, I didn't have the headphones on. I actually it was loud enough to hear it on the headphones on the on the desk. Because <laughs> it was set at Kyle. Yeah. You know, and a volume goes in 1 to 10, Kyle's in 11. It's set at Kyle volume. <laughs> exactly. Uh, at any rate, so the Department of Labor gets involved, and here's the interesting thing about how the entire industry has been shaken up. Department of Labor wants to define part of the obligation under retirement plans, and what is the representative that is the financial services representative What's their obligation to the customer within the plan? And so they were the ones that started to look into retirement plans needing to be fiduciary plans. So for our listeners who don't understand half of those vocabulary words that you just spit out, can you dial that down a little bit more? Well, I'm going to try to, right? Let's think of it this way. If you're a business and you've got a retirement plan and you want to hire somebody to help you with it, okay? when you do that, you've got... uh, that person that you hire, well, how? What is their legal responsibility? Now, are we talking about the help? advisor or like the attorney that helps? Well, you set in up this the case, plan? we're talking about the advisor, somebody providing advice. So, if you if you go to a retirement professional and you're supposedly getting advice, the question is, what kind of advice are you getting? Is it advice that is suitable and in your best interest or in your ongoing interest? Okay, now those are three different things. Suitable just means well. It works. It's good it enough, fits. you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it clears the standard of well, it's not bad for you, right? So they're, you know, it's, but it could be meh. In a sense, yes. And here's here's really the example that you should take away from it. Uh, let's say that advisor could offer you two different things. One of them pays them more than the other. Both of them are acceptable products, and they choose to offer the one that pays them more. Uh, if that product was an inferior product but still good enough, that they would not be in trouble. They they sold the higher compensation product to you over a product that was superior, but both products were suitable. Good. Yeah, they were good enough. Right, they were suitable. Okay. Um, so you said suitable was the suitable, first one. Suitable, the next one is best interest. And this is where it gets a little bit complicated, but what there's the argument is, well, did you operate in the client's best interest? Now, that means that you put their needs ahead of yours, right? So that same scenario with one product paying more commissions than another, the investment representative says, you know what, even though the other product pays me better, this the product, this first product is a better product for you. It's going to be better for you as a client, and therefore, I'm making this as the recommendation. Now, one, you hope that everybody does that ethically anyway, right? right? But legally, they weren't required to. When you operate in best interest, that's what's supposed to happen. Okay? You're operating in the best interest of the client. However, the question is, how do you maintain the client's best interest after the transaction? That's where the fiduciary concept comes in, because it's an ongoing obligation. And this is where the industry was sort of panicking, because historically, it has been viewed that the recommendation needed to be suitable or in the client's best interest at the time of the recommendation. But it didn't have to be ongoing. But it didn't have to be ongoing. It just needed to be at that moment when it was made, because the client's circumstance is going to change down the road. Right. So now, 
enters the new concept of fiduciary management where you have to stay in touch with the client and you have to you know, know when the circumstance changes and you have to amend the recommendations. That's fiduciary advice. And so you can see it gets a lot more elaborate because the relationship is ongoing and the cost structure for providing that kind of advice is actually different, right? Because it's not a transaction where that representative moves on with their life. Right. They have to sort of stick around. And make sure that it's continuously suitable and in their best yeah. interest. So the Department of Labor gets involved and says, no, no, we really think it should be fiduciary in nature. And then it was, whoa, okay, that's going to be a whole new way to deal with things. And the industry has sort of been in an uproar around this ever since. And there's two big camps. Okay. Right? So um, I'm, I'm thinking back on the Twilight movies. There was like Team Jacob and Team uh, whatever. Oh, uh, I don't. Man, and I can see his face. What were they? I don't even remember. But I know what there is is there's Team Broker and there's Team Advisor. There you go. Okay, okay so we'll stick the, with our teams that we know. We're getting out of the teen. We'll get exactly. out of the teen series. So, so <laughs> Team Broker is sort of the traditional stockbroker model. Okay. And they, they want to be able to have transaction-based business is really the core. And so getting into the fiduciary world does not necessarily fit natively with the way their business was designed. Right. Okay. And then you have Team Advisor, which for a long time has been saying, well, yeah, everything we do is a... Uh, been that way all along yeah, ever we, since. We, so. we do fiduciary management and therefore... Uh, Doesn't really rock yeah, our boat it, much. We, we think everybody should do that because we have to do it, and that you know we're held to a different standard of accountability, and you should be held to that same high standard. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, and, you know, and just so we're very aware here, I totally have a dog in the fight on this one. Our firm is an advisory firm. Right. So we've been a fiduciary all along. Right, and we've been fiduciary since this firm was founded in. 2010. I know you're so excited. We're coming up on our. I know coming up on the 10 year anniversary, uh, which now, is not technically until the end of next year. Right, right. It won't so it's be. A while away. It'll be uh, depending on how you want to get cute with it. It's either September 1st or December 1st of next year. I'll just pick a date, David. But yeah, 10 year anniversary. Of Please don't put it in September. We already have your birthday and your anniversary and everything else. I it'll, don't know if I can well, handle one more date and anniversary. The actual formal it was like December 1st or December 3rd was when the registration paperwork was Aww. filed. But the engagement to get all of it done started September 1st. I mean, That's it was fair. a very clear separation from prior organization, August 30th, September 1. It was Hey, new most world. people don't count their engagement date. They count the wedding date. I remember both. Um, I remember both, too. But most people don't count the first one. They count the second. <laughs> all right. Well, in our scenario here, the, the advisors are all sort of saying, hey, you know, we we think that brokers should be held to this same standard, because if they're going, especially because a lot of uh, scenarios where brokers were receiving, it was they were getting ongoing compensation, but it was in the form of a commission that didn't give them the same fiduciary oversight requirement. This gets way so can, deeper into the weeds. It is. It sounds like I mean, how would they get ongoing compensation if it's not a transaction and? Great question. That's really yeah, good that's question. confusing. So here's where we go with a lot of the program today. And the, the joke goes something like this. For the remainder of the show, we are going to be training poodles. <laughs> okay. Right? Everybody's because going, what the heck is he talking about? We're going to be talking about fees. Fee, fee. Fee, 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 Right? So, you know, that's a, and that's a poodle name. So <laughs> we, I want folks to get an understanding 
and there's really some more motivation to why are we going to have a conversation about fees today? I'm going to tell you that, but I'm going to wait until after the break because there was some really interesting, significant news in the financial world today. I mean, like big, alter alter the industry news. So stick around and we'll be covering that when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show, where I remember in between segments, I always tease that you can check out what you've missed by going to the podcast. Is it, It's not podcasted yet, though. It'll be podcasted tomorrow. Right. And so go to littlejohnfs.com and it'll be available there. I think it's under the educate tab so there you, you can get down in there and uh, we got all the past shows too but this one will be a good one because uh it, so it's a different show i mean a, we it, talked about fees in the past but this is different there's right. a context to this today. yeah we've talked about fees but today is and i don't want to just make it you know boring uh i want to help you understand that fees are part of the financial services industry. They're all over the place in different shapes and forms. And it matters what kind of fee it is. Uh, there's a difference between fee and commission. Okay. Uh, they are important, right? It seems like, well, big deal. It's just money that the customer is paying. Yeah, no, it matters because there's different treatments of them. And then uh, the big announcement, right? Why is this all relevant today? I mean, today specifically. Well, I kind of know, but I'm wondering if you're going to say it or do I get to? (laughs) So, Katie, there was a big announcement today. What was it? So Schwab announced that they weren't going to charge any more trading fees. Right. Trading or transaction or both. So transaction fees. Transaction fees. Which I I don't know if there's a difference between trading fees and transaction fees. Okay. So... Well, everybody calls it something slightly different. That's why yeah. I'm so kind of throwing them out there. They just call them commissions, too. Everything's commission-free. So Schwab, so Charles Schwab is the name of the, the company, right? Right. After uh, a guy named Charles. Yeah, I mean, Charles Schwab, Schwab. And grow, and so they, they create this company. And one of the things that they are particularly famous for now is that they are a what's called a discount broker. Okay. Okay. They're an online discount broker. So you could go onto the Charles Schwab website. You could actually open up an investment account. You could transfer money into the account, and you could use their system to then buy investments, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and the like. That sounds easy until okay. you figure out what you got to buy. Right. Uh, <laughs> and there's so, over 100,000 selections. Oh, there's more than that. Uh, so you can go open an account on your own and become an investor. And it used to be that there were minimum account sizes. And that also, whenever you bought or sold something, there was a transaction charge or a commission associated with each purchase. So if you buy a stock, uh, they have been systematically reducing the fees to the madness of many advisors and brokers out there. Because what happens is, as things get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, the margin in the industry changes. Right. And the crazy thing about this day and age is that the margins are declining, but the costs are rising. How is that possible? Well, 
things are getting cheaper, right? Because okay. the internet has made it so transparent to understand pricing. You can see the price of things now if you want to do the research. And the law says you need to disclose it. So there are a lot fewer ways to hide fees. Now, you can bury them, and if somebody doesn't do the research, they can sort of miss it. But they're published. Okay. Okay? So when a company like Schwab does, what they announced today was, we are going to eliminate broker commissions. That's their own commissions, right? So when they have, if you go online, it's different if you call a person, because when you call a person, now you have to, somebody's getting paid. Right. But if you use their system electronically, they say they're not going to charge you to buy or sell stocks, ETFs, anything, right? Just no more transaction fees. So are they going to charge like an account fee then? Or like, I don't understand how they're even going to make any money off of you then. Aha! And you have arrived at the big million-dollar question. Yeah. So, I mean, what's in it for them? Because why would they just be cutting off their head and then being like, oh, no, we're totally fine with it. It's okay. We're bleeding. Because they totally aren't. That's the part that folks are missing. Schwab gets something, and it's just part of their business model. And they're going to call it innovation. They're going to call it lots of things. But this will change the landscape. And Schwab has an advantage over certain other custodians. Okay. And now remember, a custodian is anybody that can hold your money. At, yeah, they they hold your money and they they provide record keeping. So if you've heard of Charles Schwab, maybe you've heard of Scott Trade or E Trade or, or TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, well, Fidelity. Yeah, LPL is different. Okay. Okay. LPL LPL is a custodian, but LPL is actually a brokerage firm. Ah. LPL is uh, it's a different business model, but it's it's um. Uh, they they have their own custodianship, and so they charge their own commissions. But LPL is different than uh, they, like you don't go to LPL online and open an LPL account and be your Got own. Got rep- So you you use a representative. So an LPL is kind of like an Ed Jones. Yeah, Edward Jones. You don't open an account with Edward Jones and online, just do it yourself. You have to, yeah, yeah. You right. Have they're to go not, they're not a discount. People. They're a full service. Right? right. So discount is where you're the one doing your self service. Okay. So. What Schwab is figuring is they will buy market share. What do I mean by that? Ooh, that's a big one too. It's it's bigger than people think. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're trying to incentivize more people to become clients of Schwab. Oh, because okay. they figure if they, they want have more... more market share. Why don't you move your accounts from Fidelity or wherever Anybody they else, might be? That, XYZ custodian. That that's charging you because we're not going to charge you. And everybody goes, hey, I, that sounds like it's more affordable. I like that. Let's do it. And now, Katie, you've asked the, the other side of this. Is, well, what's in it for Schwab? Why would they do that? It's just going to – are they giving up the revenue? Right. No. Now ask me why. Why? Yeah, good question. I'm glad you asked. Why? Because Schwab also has a bank. What? Yeah, Schwab isn't just a custodian. Schwab has – they're a bank. Okay, so what does that have to do with investments, though? Well, like bank in the traditional okay. sense, like checking account or no? Yeah, you could do like Schwab has checking accounts and savings, and they can also loan money to other banks and so forth. So, banks, so why do they want more of my money? Are they going to do something with my money then? Like is the goal just to get more of my money? Well, if they're a bank, how does a bank make money? They take all their deposits and they turn around and loan them out for more. Correct. For higher interest. So they are trying to increase their cash holdings. 
because that means that if you put cash in their organization, they can then turn around and loan that cash back out and they can enhance their banking side of the relationship. Okay. okay. But doesn't that sacrifice one to benefit the other? I yes. Mean, okay. That's kind but, of like the but, lost leader well, thing in the grocery maybe. store, isn't it? Well, it depends. I mean, how much trading do you really do? Okay. You know, when, when the a trade costs- The average I'd say probably not that much. Well, let's, let's play a math game. Okay. Okay, you have $100 and you want to buy a stock at Schwab and the trading costs were $4.95. Let's round it up to $5. Sounds good. So it costs you $5 to buy- $100. The $100. Okay. What is the percentage cost of that trade? 5%. 5%. Right? You have a $1,000 account and you make a trade for $5. What's the trading cost as a percentage of your account? Not 5%. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you, you've just added another zero, 0.5%. Right. Well, the difference between 5% and 0.5% is pretty dramatic. A lot. You have a $50,000 account and a $5 trade. What's it cost you? That's a rounding 0.05%. <laughs> now we're getting down to basis points, right? Five basis points is the cost of that trade. You have a $5 million account. How much does a $5 trade cost you? It's fractions of basis points. Rounding error. Yeah. Right? It's negligible on an account of that size. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. And so what Schwab knows is that the trading isn't, I mean, they made some money trading, but that's not where they make the majority of their money. I suspect, and I'm going to speak out of turn for a moment, okay, because I haven't had a time. The news was today. So I haven't gone and looked at the finer points of how Schwab makes all of their money. So I'm going to extrapolate a little bit. And if I'm taking some liberties here, know that this is a guided opinion. I don't know for certain that this is what it is. Okay. But I think they're making money on the banking side. And I think that Schwab also has the ability to make money on the market-making side. Meaning, if you're buying a stock and Schwab owns it in their own inventory, they need to make sure that they are providing what's known as best execution. So they need to give you the best price that you can get in the marketplace when they do it, or at least attempt it. Uh, they're supposed to. Okay. But they get to make the difference between the bid price and the ask price on the stock if they have it in their own inventory. Which is known as the spread. So yeah, they can they can capitalize on the spread of their own inventory. So if they're good at trading their own portfolio of stocks and trading in and out of their own inventory along the way, they may be able to completely waive the commissions and still make money just on the transactions themselves on the spread between the buyer and the seller's price point. So now this is a question I've never really thought of. Is it typical for custodians to have their own inventory? Uh, it really depends on size and scale. Many, no. And so th this is the difference between trading on the marketplace or trading from uh, principal or you know your own inventory or whatever they want to call it. But... Um, and aren't there different disclosures if you do that? And Typically, there some rules yes. around that? And Tip, well, there's, only for the advisor and not for the custodian. Yeah, it's more for the advisor. Because I thought there was some like really strict rules around like if you know if you owned David, if you David owned you know oh I'd have to disclose all kinds of things. Yeah, and, and then you somebody, wanted to buy Disney, and I'm like, well, I got Disney. Yeah, buy it for me. I thought you couldn't do that, or they're like you could, but there was a lot of like really weird disclosure stuff around it and well, how it had to happen. And you could do it person to person easier than if you were to go and do it um, as a pro as a professional. You need to you know, act within the marketplace. So, oh, interesting. and so there are just lots of disclosure rules around it and they're designed to protect the customer. Right. 
I mean, that's what they're for. And so bottom line is that the industry is really going to shift if all of the sudden all of the players have to look at each other and say, Schwab's charging nothing. And if we don't figure out how to charge nothing, Schwab We're going to lose all of our we're business gonna, they're to all, Everybody's going to go to Schwab. So how do we work with Schwab or how do we do something different then? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And so uh, what I'm going to watch now is I'm going to watch companies like TD who, Ameritrade. And who are they going to absorb in this process? Like, who are they going to put out of business and who are they going to absorb? And I don't know. But, the, you know, most of these... They've uh, upset the apple cart really badly today. They have. And so, the, you know, they're going to have to try to make money in other places. Uh, interactive brokers is one that I think about that most people listening probably don't know who they are. Uh, or maybe... Uh, well, I'm pretty sure TradeStation bought E-Trade, or the other way, E-Trade bought TradeStation, something like that. But a lot of the uh, the smaller guys, low, well, they weren't necessarily smaller guys. They were the really high tech ones. Oh. they're really high tech firms that were built around traders and hedge funds and so forth. They're going to have their work cut out for them, making sure that they can stay competitive. And if they are going to charge, uh, because you know, interactive brokers, for example, with super low cost trades. I mean, typically trades were a couple of bucks, uh, you know, or less. It was was not uncommon. But you now, I mean, I think it was like it was like half a cent per share. You know, so hundred shares cost you fifty cents. And, oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, then they round it up to a dollar if you had less than hundred shares. But yeah, two hundred shares cost you a dollar to buy something. Well, that's pennies. Right. So. It was we're talking really, shares, not dollars, right? Right, like, right. So you could do a twenty thousand dollar transaction; it cost you a dollar. So it was not a material impact to the cost of what they were doing, but people psychologically really latch on to fee structure. Yes, they do. Right. Well, because and, they don't—that's the only thing that they've been talked to constantly about the industry. Right, because we are coached into it. Right. So what I want to do is, uh, you know, we're getting a little long on segment here, so we we should grab a break. And then what we'll do is let's come back, and I want to talk a little bit about maybe uncoaching some of these bad habits on fees. What are the fees that are are the ones that really matter, and how do you discern whether or not you are overpaying? So we'll cover that when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, I'll break into the music again. <laughs> just don't break it, right? Don't, don't break it, Ralph. It. Don't break the music, just break back in, right? So, all right, welcome back to the, the True Wealth Radio Show. No, that was really bad. I wow. was trying, I was trying to jingle, it didn't work. It did not work. No. It had a very 50s flair to it. I'm like, <laughs> Welcome back to today. We're going to talk about stocks and bonds, and they trade in one eighth increments. <laughs> wow. Oh, that just sounded really boring. Never uh, mind. Ignore that altogether. Just ignore that. All right. Before we left to the break, we were talking about uncoaching bad habits regarding fees. Yeah, fee habits, and and this one, people don't have. You don't really have a. There's you don't have a fee habit, okay? Because you're not setting the fee. What you have is a. 
Uh, well, let's uh, talk about coaching, right? Our industry coaches people to think certain things. Like we say things all the time, right? Past performance does not guarantee future results. Right. But then we turn around and talk about how great the performance was to try to get somebody excited. So, yeah, that's a... But that's a, a coaching thing. Well, and when it's I use the term coaching, <laughs> I mean that... Call it a marketing thing or a sales thing. It's this tactic that we are trying to get people involved and pay attention to. And so sometimes this is this is a little bit of a magician's trick. Okay. And, what do you mean by that? Well, we know magic is not real. Magic is illusion and misdirection. Okay. Right? So Penn and Teller would tell you, they're in the famous Hollywood uh, and now Las Vegas show magicians between the two of them, that uh, it's not like they have mystic powers and they're drawing on the dark arts or something odd. <laughs> You're just mixing all sorts of lore right That's there. That's not okay. it. What is it? They get you to pay attention to one thing and it looks like something's going on, but what's actually going on isn't that. Right. Okay. And so they do it by getting you to look where they want you to look so that they can do things where you're not looking. I thought it was Houdini looking. that was all about misdirection. Houdini was about misdirection, too. But but magicians in general are. It's all about, you know, hiding the way something looks and disguising it. And so that's either forms of misdirection or disguise or whatever. Uh, the, the idea being that what what it what appears and what is are not necessarily the same thing. OK. OK. And. Fees to me are very, very important in the in the discussion because they absolutely matter. Okay, a fee is the equivalent as an investor of lugging a carry around bag around the airport. Okay. Okay. And you know, carrying a book in your hand not so bad, provided that it's kind of a paper bag. Carrying a whole set of encyclopedias around, whole not different so story, right? <laughs> so. That is, it's you're dragging extra weight with you, and it's going to impede the performance. And this makes sense, right? But fees in and of themselves are oftentimes analyzed out of context. And this is what I mean by we, especially for really low cost operators. I mean, Schwab, what did they do today that was brilliant? They announced everybody they were cutting their fees. They're going to cut their fees to zero, right? Everybody so now went, what you do is you compare everything on price. Well, Schwab is zero. I don't need to look at service level. I don't need to look at technology. I don't need to look at any of the other things that Schwab brings to the table. Or selection or I anything. Just, I just know that they're zero. They got to be best, right? I mean, I can get them for the right price. It's nothing. I always worry when something's free. Well, there is no such thing as free, especially in the business world. Right. I mean, I'm just saying, like, anytime somebody goes, oh, it's free. And I'm like, nah. I even said to you, what's the catch? Yeah, right? and so and the catch is it's the banking relationship. It may be the interest rate that they are willing to pay on cash reserves. Maybe they're non-competitive compared to somewhere else. Oh, there right? you go. It may be that the service is going to be exclusively electronic, and you can't get a real person. Or if you want a real person, then you have to pay. Well, certainly if you want to do trades through a real person, they have said you'll pay then. If you call our call center and you need to work with somebody to do a trade, that'll cost you. That to me sounds a lot like building a house all by myself with somebody giving me blueprints. Well, in some respects, that's how it's going. In other respects, not so much. Uh, I, I'm i not trying to convince somebody that what Schwab did is bad. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a very clever thing. I'm just trying to remind investors that 
there is more going on than just price. Well, I want to comment on a couple things about Schwab right now since we've made the show about fees. One, how has Schwab stock done today? Because there are people out there that own Schwab stock. Schwab got wrecked today. Because they said we're lowering our fees, which and yeah, the people took as we're going to lower our income, which means there's less to the stockholders. Yeah, but let me ask you the flip side of the question. So let's pick two, the two big competitors in the financial advisory space right now are Schwab and TD Ameritrade. Right? Oh, yeah, they're and, just and, slinging and, and money at each other at this point. I would say Fidelity's in that group, too, as far as large custodian relationships. But Schwab and TD are the big players in the game right now. So Schwab stock was down today. Almost 10%. Ooh, How bad ouch. was TD down? You probably know the answer better than I do. Almost 22. What? Yeah. 22% today. 22% today. Ouch. Okay. And this was a company that, I mean, right now, there are executives that are going home and they are telling their spouses like, okay, well, you I know, Christmas bonuses tomorrow. are toast. <laughs> everything that we thought was happening is not happening. Uh, we, you know, we do, we're going to reevaluate everything. I mean, there are executives there that have major holdings in their retirement plans, and they're going, now what? Because I just had 22% of the value of my stock crater. Right. So, I mean, keep keep that keep that in mind, right? Like, right. you have 100 grand, and all of a sudden you have 78. Yeah. Today. Like, Today, that's a big risk swing, market swing. Yeah. In fact, more than that, it was down twenty five point seven six oh. for the day. Yeah, and Just take a quarter right out I'm of all look of your at stuff. Schwab here was down nine point seven three. So we're talking about no fees, and everybody's going yay, and then you go wait, I'm a Schwab stockholder, and you went ooh, now, or I'm a TD Ameritrade. Holder. Now to give you an idea, though, Schwab stock was lower on at the end of August, so on September. If, if we look at the historical data, so this is September 3rd, the stock on September 3 was, it finished at $37.96. Today oh. it's $37.76. So it's like so right it's, there. So it's 20 cents lower than it was at the beginning of September. So it was rising and it rose up until um, Friday the 13th. <laughs> and then it sort of faded, and then there was this big drop down today. Was it like a Groundhog's Day? It saw its shadow and decided yeah. to go back in hiding? Uh, uh, yeah. So here's here's the other part of that, too, right? So that's the first part, is think of it not just from what does it mean to me as a consumer, but what does it mean to me as an investor, right? Because we don't like to ever see our investments go down. The second part of that is there's going to be a lot of people running to Schwab. Like, that's, I always, that's see that is you nailed the point. I, I was always worry toward. about the influx, the sudden influx of a large quantity of yeah. I'm people. just not particularly worried about that. Uh, I think Schwab has great infrastructure to manage it, and I'm not trying to make a commentary on the companies. I'm going to make a commentary on the strategy. Okay. Notice how Schwab was the one that created the giant wave in the system, and they got hurt. They're down almost 10 percent today, and their competitors are down 25 percent. That's true. Okay, so. What that says is people have all more faith the, in Schwab well, than they have in the other ones. All the other competitors are going to have to figure out how to solve it. Now, not everybody's going to change overnight. No. Because tremendous inertia. It takes a lot of work to change a custodian. So it's not just like a flip of a switch. But over the next three to six months, that's going to be a big deal. I was going to say a little bit longer. I kind of feel like this is the Brexit announcement. Like, remember when the market totally fluctuated after everybody said, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to leave. 
the EU. And then it kind of stabilized again. But it's taken, like, aren't they still fumbling with actually they're still, leaving? They're still. I think that this is. You don't I think, think it's that is, bad? No, I think this is really significant for the industry. Yeah, it's going to change it. It's going to yeah. change the it's, future of the it's, industry it's and regulation. It's really significant and... because when you have one of the largest players go to zero, then everybody else has to react in some way. And so right now, people everywhere are scrambling trying to figure out what to do with this. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, this, but but we need to get back to the core of what this really means. Should you, Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Doctor or whomever <laughs> listener is out there, should you go run into Schwab? Ah, uh, that's the question that's been on my mind all day. I know. So now that Schwab's taken their fees to zero, is it time to run to Schwab? I don't know. I'm going to tell you after the what break. do we do after this break. So stick around if you want to know, now that Schwab's charging zero, what's the game plan? We're going to cover that when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. we got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Why did Show. You turn into, oh, because we're doing a French show. We're talking about Fifi's. Fifi's, that's correct. Like, why did you turn into like the French chef in Ratatouille? Um, I don't know. Anyone can cook. Uh, so, <laughs> just go. don't. Just don't. All right, talking about fees and uncoaching some bad habits well uh, let's and, and i like to use that phraseology because it's yeah all right i'm totally baiting you guys it's it's true i'm baiting you when i say uncoaching these things here's what happens i think many many of us uh, even you know advisors everybody we we get so focused on looking at the fees because we're told that the operating expenses uh, are going are going to eat away at the returns and that's true Right? To some extent. Well, no, it's true, period. It, it, it comes out. The question is, is it a material impact? And we also forget to look at the results themselves and whether or not what we're, we're getting what we pay for. Now, let me give you a good example. Please do. Okay. Uh, let's talk about investing in um, India. Okay. I'm not going to use China because there's a trade war and everybody goes, rah, 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 rah. But let's talk about <laughs> India. Okay. Okay. India is a, an emerging market. Right. So they, as far as their infrastructure goes, while they are modernizing, they are far behind the United States in aggregate for the entire country by comparison to the United States. They have way larger population. I was say, not by population, they're not. Right. Way larger population and way faster growth. And uh, they've got a disparity between the educated and the non-educated and so forth. But that economy is emerging and becoming stronger and stronger. The growth is really fast. Okay. Okay. So 
investing in India is a very interesting thing to do. Okay. Right? Here's a couple of considerations, though. First of all, India operates on a different currency than the United States. So there's a currency exchange Currency issue. exchange. Okay. The stocks that you may purchase are oftentimes either not traded the same way, so maybe they're not publicly held in the same way that they are in the United States, or if they are on an exchange... It's they, not one here. Right. It's a foreign exchange with different set of rules. Okay. And they do not use the same accounting standards that the United States uses. We have something called GAAP, right? Generally accepted accounting principles. Ah, GAAP. And India, some companies may create financials that are standardized for the, you know, American analyst to understand, but most do not. Okay. Okay. Which means now you need to have a translator involved, somebody that can go and look at and, and discern what's going on, not only within the country, within the exchange rates so of the macro economy itself, and then the underlying investment and what's going on. Okay. Right? That level of research is expensive to perform. Yeah. Now, you could go buy an index fund that buys the 100 largest stocks in India. Okay. Okay. But that's you, what you're going to you, get. You, you there's do like that no is, changing the formula. Well, it's there's yeah, and you can buy it a lot cheaper because you're not paying for all the other research. Okay. But but it may not be the best performer. It may underperform a lot. So you could pay 3 4 times more to get the analyst driven fund in that case and it would be worth it. There right? Because go. the returns would be more than superior even after paying for the analyst. Now, I'm giving a theoretical example here, but it does make sense. Why? Well, because not not everything is created equal, right? Like we're right. acting as if everything's created equal. We're just saying, oh, just don't pay for fees, and then everybody should have the same return. But that's not how it no. works. So when when do we care about fees? When, when things are equal. When things are equal. Right. And so how do things get equal? Well, you look for places that are really, really efficient. Things where there's lots of information known. Okay. okay. So the S&P 500, well, I could make the case that the U.S. stock market, the largest 100 companies in the United States, are pretty well discovered. Yeah. We know what they are. The IRS is all over that business. They've got uh, analysts from all kinds of different brokerage organizations researching them and trying to learn about what's going on. In fact, those companies spend more time trying to keep their secrets secret. As if they keep people off their backs right? than trying to give yeah. them access. It's, exactly. There's so much information that they're just trying to keep their secrets secret. Right. Because everybody has got them under a microscope. It's hard to discover a lot of new news there. True. Right? You know, Google keeping secrets is a Google thing. But analysts not knowing what's going on in Google, they all see the all the same data, all the information, and they can pour over it. The difference in opinion comes from whether or not they think their strategy may materialize differently over the coming quarters okay. and years. So why is that important to our listeners? It's important because when you have lots and lots of eyeballs on something, you start to squeeze out the inefficiencies. So then buying things at a lower price point may, and I'm using terms like may, so I don't want somebody to try to legally tie me down. I mean, you said, like, I'm going. We're it, not giving advice right yeah, now. We're not, just talking hypothetical. But, but conceptually, with so many eyes looking at it, it's much harder for their, an exploit to be found. Right. So it ends up being much more efficient in that space. When you have fewer eyes and you have fewer standardizations, 
there are more opportunities for exploit. Now, exploit is not negative in this case. I'm thinking of our example where a good analyst may be able to uncover opportunities in an emerging market that we can't find here in the United States. So are there opportunities that are given to advisors or brokers and stuff that the public can't get to? 100% yes. So that is the other part of this too, right? You're saying, oh, I have no fees and I can do it myself and I'll just go park my account there because it's cheaper. But you may not have the same set of yeah. opportunities. There that are you institutional would get things that aren't available to the public, and also there are things that would be really hard to buy. Things like shopping malls, hospitals, you know, giant <laughs> giant real estate transactions that occur through aggregated corporate entities, and they're not necessarily publicly traded. Right. Right. So these mega hedge funds—they're out there making private transactions that aren't listed on stock exchanges. Right. So those things are all relevant. Okay, Uh, and so when we talk about efficiency, and you're you know you don't just go out there and look for the best fee. You need to look for the best fee relative to performance. Right, and that's the key there, which is why Schwab rushing to zero may make great sense for somebody that's a starter investor, where the where you don't have much to invest in the the, the first place or much to buy. Your trading costs are a big percentage of your total assets. Right. Right. But when you've got a large account, your trading costs become more of a negligible part of operating what you're doing. Right. Okay. So this is the idea. It's I always say it's like shopping at Costco. Right. When you start dealing in bulk, the prices go down. Yep. And trades get cheaper. uh, Advisory services get cheaper. Right. Our firm. You know what? Uh, It doesn't take. You know, a, a person with ten thousand dollars versus a person with ten million dollars, it doesn't take a thousand times more effort. True. To to manage the ten million dollars. So what happens is the ten million dollar person they get a good discount. Right. Right. Now it does take more effort than a ten thousand dollar account to manage ten million. It takes a lot more effort, but it doesn't but take a in, thousand times more effort. It's not the percentage of it. Right. It's not in a ratio. Yeah. So. That's the thing, or 10,000 times more, whatever the number may be. Right? It doesn't take that level of magnitude different. It may be 30 or 40 times more effort, which is still a ton when you think about hours. But uh, that's part of the scaling issue. So I want to encourage everybody, look at the context of the fee. Well, and pump that the brakes matters. a little on this information, right? Let it kind of, I would say, let it simmer. Let it unfold well, I, and see. Yeah, you're talking effort. about Schwab, I think, though, right? I am. I mean, I'm you're just saying, saying, like, like well, before you. just came out today. Yeah. Like, but Schwab, I mean, it, I think Schwab's committed to it. I think there's a strategy. I think they're shaking up the whole industry, and it'll be interesting. What I want to tell our listeners is, Yes, the fees matter. The total fee matters. What are you paying in what you're trading getting. costs? What are you getting in performance? What's going to the various uh, third parties if you're using other managers? So what's your mutual fund cost? What's your custodian cost? What's your advisor or broker cost if you're using one? What's your time worth? I mean, those are all elements that you really should be analyzing and then looking at, am I getting the value that I'm looking for for what I'm paying? That's a real important key. And it's not just... Uh, like I said, we've been coached. Fee, 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 right? Yeah, like a French poodle. You know, and, and this is kind of the, I'm not picking on Vanguard, but they're real common with it. They say, well, if you had invested in a scenario where the markets had gone up this much and you had paid less, you would have made this much more as an investor. And I go, that was an awful lot of if in there. Because it means the markets had to go up like that, and they had to do this thing and that thing, and you didn't have to take any money out. The tax implications never shifted. So there's all kinds of elements that are big ifs. But it certainly sells the concept that buying at cheapest looks best 
Well, yeah, if that's what you're selling. Yeah, they just got a lot. So I want to know, you know, what are you buying? You know, is it results? Is it risk management? Is it a total financial comprehensive picture? What goes with it? And so when you analyze the fee, I want to encourage everybody out there, be a little bit more holistic in your analysis. It's not just you know, cheap is a value proposition, but it's not necessarily the value that you want when it comes to your long-term financial strategy. And it's not the only value That's right. It's not the only. I think it's important. Efficient. That's what I would say. Look at fees for efficiency, not just for cheap. But look at your performance, too. All right. Well, look, we're out of time for today. Uh, as always, Katie, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right. So, look, if, if we didn't cover it uh, today on the show, uh, check out future podcasts or past podcasts at littlejohnfs.com and call us if we can help. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.